With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. In today's IG Live, I talked about what the new economic data is showing about the economy and the lockdowns and so on, what will happen next. I also talk about the $10 million idea of the week, uh, which I am very excited about. And we start off by answering the question, why should anyone get married? And even if you get married, why should you get legally married? Why should you say to the government, I need your permission, government, to be married? All of these and more on today's session. How's everybody doing today? Just curious, shout out uh, where you're from if you're on this IG Live. Hello there, Honey Fresh, Patrick, and other people. Hello, Jay. Jay, uh, hey, Camelia. Uh, shout out where you're from, just so we know. How many people are from different locations? New York City. Oh, you're right. You're right next to us. <laughs> Uh, and Jay, uh, I'll wait for your IG live link. So a lot of, um, uh, a lot of economic news today. And a lot of people are confused by the economic news. In fact, Paul Krugman, who won the Nobel prize in economics, even though he's probably the worst economist, almost at the level of Nouriel Roubini, uh, Paul Krugman was saying, all of a sudden that the Bureau of Labor Statistics were, was lying about the new job data. They weren't, and it's sort of obvious that they weren't. They're, they're kind of independent, really, of all the branches of government. They, they just report the data that they have. So what was so surprising in the data? I think everyone was surprised that the unemployment rate actually went down. They expected it to be 19.8%, and instead it was 13.3%. And uh, their number of new jobs in May uh, went up instead of down. There was two and a half million new jobs. And I think everyone was surprised. And the reality is, if you had been listening to these IG lives, for instance, uh, you would know that this wasn't such a big surprise is that a, a lot of the unemployed, a lot of the people who are filing and are still filing for unemployment claims are not jobless. They were furloughed so that when companies, I mean, when something like, well, basically all 50 states now have started doing full reopening or partial reopening. And as part of the reopening, stores, restaurants, businesses have to rehire all their furloughed employees because otherwise they can't access the benefits of the PPP loan. So $500 billion worth of loans were lent out to small businesses. And though, and again, I know this because you know, one one of my investments, of course, is a comedy club. We got a PPP loan, and we can only use a, most of that loan to pay employees or pay rent. So, it's kind of makes sense that there. You know, now that states have reopened, that millions and millions of people have uh, gotten their old jobs back, and 
again, this is before the economy even really fully feels the effects of the stimulus. All out of the $2.2 trillion in stimulus and trillions more in Federal Reserve actions, we've only felt in the economy so far the $1,200 direct stimulus checks that you got. And now we're beginning to see, as of this month, the beginnings of the PPP loan coming back. Don't forget, a lot of states, New York State, California, and so on, have barely reopened. So there's going to be millions of jobs more that come back. Start, you know, I think New York State, when's, when's the pause over? Wait, was it today? Uh, I think June 8th, I think Monday. Oh, okay. So, so New York State, California, you're going to see millions of jobs just from those two states start to come back. You're going to see, uh, uh, you know, continued jobs from the other 48 states come back. Uh, I do expect, I said this about a month ago, I do expect by the end of the year, the unemployment rate will go from today's 13.3% to about 9%, give or take. Now, 9% is not good news, right? That's a, that 9% is the high, is the peak of the 2009 Great Recession. That's how bad un, the unemployment rate got, was 9%. But let's not forget, when the unemployment rate was 9% in March of 2009, that was also the beginning of a huge several hundred percent run, 10-year run in the st all the stock markets. So the world can live with 9% unemployment, and I actually think it'll be a good thing for the world. Here are the good things. First off, 20% unemployment is horrible, and that's where it looked like we were heading, but thanks to the stimulus, thanks to the economy beginning to reopen. And by the way, I do think it should have reopened earlier. Uh, we're, that's another story. But, you know, we're, we're going to get back to that 9% unemployment. And here are the benefits of not having, here's the benefits of having unemployment, but not crazy unemployment. So if we could get back to, if we're aiming for like 6 7% unemployment and we get to 9% unemployment by the end of the year, that's a really good thing. For one thing, when, un when unemployment's at 3%, the danger is we could have too much inflation because employees will start to negotiate, like work, poor skilled employees will be able to negotiate for higher and higher salaries. Companies will have to pass those salaries on to their products if they can, and that creates inflation. And then usually the Federal Reserve has to start raising interest rates to combat inflation. But with low unemployment, it, it, it uh, with low employment, I should say, with high unemployment, like eight, nine percent unemployment, it actually creates pressure against inflation. So that helps the U.S. economy. It's not great. I'm just trying to say the upside. It's better for people to, to be working and better to have a, a thriving employment space, which we'll get to around between four and six unemployment. I know I'm getting into the weeds here of all the economics, but I'm just saying why the direction is important now more than the actual number. The other benefit of higher unemployment is probably too many people were employed before. Like it didn't make sense for many companies to have full employment because if they started new, you, you, it made it harder for, I don't know, it makes it harder for you guys, for people to change their minds about their careers. Like, yes, you could change your mind about your career when you're at a job, but right now, everyone's getting unemployment benefits. There's going to be another stimulus package, more, most likely. I think now is now that the coronavirus lockdowns are ending and the full economy has not yet reopened and still the stimulus benefits are still here, 
now more than ever is the time to reevaluate what it is you actually want to go want to do with your life going forward. And I know everybody was saying this at the beginning, like in March, oh, this is a perfect time to write your book or to try that side hustle. It wasn't really a perfect time because we were scared then. Everybody was scared. Nobody knew what was going to happen in the health crisis, whether, whether their family was just going to all die, whether their country was going to have 10 million deaths, some of the models were saying, which was ludicrous, but there it was. So people were scared. Nobody wanted an extra homework assignment like, oh, now I've got to write a book on top of being scared to death. Nobody wanted that. And, uh, you know, now we've talked a lot about side hustles. We've talked a lot about different business models. We've gone through three different 30 day book challenges, which I could summarize again if people would like. Uh, but this this few week period right here where we know, you know now, everyone listening to this knows right now that they are not going to get sick from coronavirus at least over the next few months. Do you know, Robin, today is, or yesterday was the first day since the lockdown began, there were no new deaths in New York State. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, zero new deaths. So meanwhile, we're all still locked down, which kind of, again, I don't blame anybody because nobody knew what strategy would work. We still don't know what strategy will work. Some states and some countries didn't lock down at all. And it's fair to say Sweden has a much smaller population than us, so it was easier for them to do that experiment. Yeah. Some countries and some states did more, well, particularly countries, some countries did more testing, some countries did more um, uh, aggressive travel bans. I don't know, We our first, the US's first travel ban was no flights from China, and there was, then the day after we got back from Europe, there was no more new flights <laughs> from Europe, so we got back just in time. They, they were letting back US citizens, but right. I would have gotten scared to death. I did not want to stay in Europe. No offense to Europe. Um, so, you know, everything was kind of scary though, because every day there was new restrictions, new curfews, new lockdowns, new businesses being shut down. What would happen next? And it, I couldn't tell if this was uh, worse for my health or worse for my wallet. And I think many people felt the same way. And we got kind of got used to the new normal really was us just gathering together on these IG lives every day and figuring out what to do during the day. And, yeah. you know, hopefully we got some stuff done, all of us, but there's no, nobody's going to blame you if you didn't get anything done except watch TV. There's nothing wrong with watching a lot of TV. We watched so much TV. We watched Breaking Bad, yeah. favorite new sitcom, Dave. There was only one season, right. but Dave on Hulu. The League. Uh, the League. We've been watching Space this my second Force. time watching Space Force, which I don't like as much, but it's it's cute. It's fun. Funny. We um, we've watched movies. I can't even remember all the things we've watched. We've become as a nation experts <laughs> on television. Everybody listening give to this some, right now can watch, uh, can write a t movie script possibly. Give us some ideas, some other movies. <laughs> oh yeah, tell us if you have your favorite movies. Tell us, and we'll we'll shout them out. What movies you've been watching during this? Uh, this 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 we locker. watched in the beginning we watched outbreak oh yeah we outbreak watched, which was uh, the i did not want to watch outbreak oh it's so great outbreak was about first off the advisor to outbreak was dr larry brilliant who was an old friend of mine he was an investor in a company that i started in 1999 and he was on the board of directors dr larry brilliant and then he went on to be the head of google.org which was all of, he managed all of google's charities but outbreak the movie was advised by him because in the 1970s 
he single-handedly took the smallpox vaccine and went village by village in India and completely eradicated smallpox from India. So he was an, an expert in pandemics. And then he joined Google.org to help them donate to prevent possible pandemics. I guess that didn't work so well. But he was the advisor on contagion. And it scared the hell out of me watching it. Oh, contagion, yeah. That's yeah. Right. We watched Outbreak and Contagion. Contagion, though, it felt like why we were... You know, it felt very here, realistic. It was very real. Everything they were saying, except except they were, except it was both more fatal and more contagious than the coronavirus. Yeah, at that point, we didn't know. It, yeah, it was. Or so what I'm like, it. turn this off, and you and our Lily. daughter Lily were like, no, no, we're watching. And then I saw Larry. Do, do you know the last time I interacted with Larry? I think I've told this story before, but uh, he basically sent the FBI to me uh, after 9/11 because he told the FBI I might know where Osama bin Laden was uh, because a company I had started had an investment from another investment firm that the bin Laden family was invested in. Now, the bin Laden family is a big construction family in Saudi Arabia. Osama bin Laden is one of like 27,000 right. children. So they all have like lots of kids there. How many how many wives is the average like wealthy person in Saudi Arabia? Have you lived in well, Kuwait? You can have up to four. You can have up to four. Right, but you have to have enough money for to create uh, the same environment for each one. So really, there's like it's, yeah. it's almost like so you have to buy exactly, equal rules. Yes. You have to. So if you have enough money to do this exactly the same for the first one, you can do the same for the second. And if you have enough for the third one, you can have a third, up to four. Up to four. Was there anybody that you knew who had like twelve? No, you can only go up to four. But did anyone break the law? I don't think so. And. Uh, I don't know, but I don't were that, know. Did you know any third or they fourth They were starting wives? to get divorced with some of them because... Oh, you know, so they could too, rotate out? Well, just because there's so much I need problem. someone else for so the bench. Problems. I need another third string <laughs> quarterback. Westerner. So, Western so do you know anybody who was like the third wife of somebody who it liked it? Like, did you know any um, like multiple yeah. wife situations? Yep. Yeah. And would they talk to you and say, yeah. oh, this is such a drag. I'm no. the third wife. Like, what did they like about it? Well, the third wife, well, the the least, the one that they had last, I mean, they get younger, of course, you know, so they're usually the ones that do a lot of things with, with the men and stuff. But then the man has to, you know, visit the other ones as well. It's weird. Wait, they have to, does the men have to rotate? They rotate. Sexually through the four? They rotate. Or could one be, this, I don't is, what, know this about is the wife of the finances, this is the wife. stay with you know their husband they don't have like a favorite do the husbands have like a favorite that that's the I, one they're having sex with typically the last one the last but one. I, I don't really know I, I didn't really ask those questions do the women get jealous of the one who's the favorite uh i would think so i feel like why can't this be like yeah. a sitcom or a TV? like big love was on hbo which was the <laughs> same thing for mormons i feel like this should be like a show in the u.s yeah. so I don't know. maybe it's just not a good what to do something? Like Are you that? telling I me know. I should? I <laughs> should have like multiple making lives? fun of the you know their culture. Yeah, what you HBO I, already I can, did it for I'm Mormons. I'm not like that either. So I you, that's just me. Anybody ever proposed to you for yeah, to be yeah, a fourth no, wife or anything? Not a fourth wife, no. First wife? No, not first wife. <laughs> okay, somebody asked this question the other day, which I will answer. We could answer. Uh-huh. Why get married? Like. What are the benefits to getting married? And I will say from my perspective, um, and there's really, it's really two questions. Um, why emotionally do you ever feel 
the urge to get married and then why legally do it? Because mm-hmm. you could still spend your life with somebody without having the without getting the government's permission. That's like true. why do you have, why do people feel the need to go to the government and say, please, can you just mm-hmm. put a stamp on our piece of paper that says Robin and I are now married? Like why why do that with the government? But let's just talk why I get married in general. And it's a good question because when you first meet somebody, you think, and this is true for every couple, it's true for us, that you get all excited, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see that person again, and I can't wait to you know, be with them, and, and you have this dopamine rush when you even think about the other person. And eventually though, uh, you know, as I've discussed with um, Andrew Huberman, who was on my podcast a, a couple months ago from Stanford's Neuroscience Lab, eventually that dopamine rush settles down and you kind of have to find other reasons to be happy. And so the other neurochemical reason to be happy is serotonin and oxytocin. Oxytocin is this neurochemical where you feel good even just touching another person, your oxytocin gets triggered. And serotonin is a neurochemical that gets triggered when you feel satisfied with your life. So dopamine is the is called the molecule of more. And serotonin is the molecule of be here now. And so gratitude, like when I'm grateful that you're in my life, that triggers serotonin. When, I'm, when we're bonding, that triggers serotonin and oxytocin. When I'm missing you and I'm excited to see you, that's more of a dopamine thing. And that happens more often in the beginning of a relationship. So that's why typically, sometimes in some cultures, they get married right away because they still have that dopamine thing going and that's how they get married. And in some cultures, you wait for the dopamine, in the US culture in particular, you wait for the dopamine rush to be over and you're still happy with each other. You have that serotonin uh, feeling with the other person. You're satisfied and you're happy to be with them and to spend time, companionship time with them as well as other time. And uh, so, so in the US, we tend to wait more than the six weeks or the eight weeks. I mean, I probably, when did we say, I probably, asked you to marry me when we knew each other about five weeks, right? Five or six weeks. And then we got married two weeks later. Yeah. Something like that. So, so, so I do think, I do think that that's fast. The average couple shouldn't do that. Uh, uh, but the other thing is why get married at all? I think it's, I find for myself, it really is a nice feeling to know that this is somebody you could, you could make plans with at various stages of your life. So so this is someone who is not just someone that I'm attracted to, but someone that I feel I could partner with. And it's not it's someone who shares similar values and ideas. Like with you, unlike with many relationships I've had, I can just freely express what I believe and what I think. And sometimes you have to kind of hide what you think. Like I've had situations where even politically, if I didn't agree 100%, I'd have to hide or they would get like too angry. Yeah. And because I often make decisions out of fear rather than growth, which is a bad thing to do. You always want to make you always want to check yourself whenever you feel you're making a decision out of fear, make sure the decisions you make are out of growth. Fear decisions are never good decisions, but every decision is either a fear or a growth decision. If you decide to um you know, I don't know. If you decide to quit a job, you're either making a fear decision like, oh no, I better quit this because, or no, I can't quit this job because I might not get another job that's as good, blah, blah, blah. Or you can make a growth decision. Like I'm going to quit this job because I'm going to have more opportunities 
doing this side hustle or doing this side business or if I switch jobs from this company to this company, I'll work with better people and I'll make more money and it'll, maybe it'll be more stable. So you always have to decide. So I think sometimes people make fear decisions in relationships. They stay with someone because they think they're not going to be able to find someone else or they think, I think for men, they might think, oh, I'm not going to be able to find someone as beautiful. Men tend to be focused on looks and, uh, uh, you know, whereas a growth decision would be, oh, I want to be with this person because not only am I very attracted, but this is a partner in life. We could make decisions together. We could decide where to live together. We could decide how we're going to spend our old age together. If I decide to focus on writing a book, my life partner can help balance other areas of my life and vice versa when she is doing her thing. And we can help each other with our kids. Other relationships I've had, they didn't have kids. And I realized only when I met Robin that that was a problem for me that I wanted to be was I had two kids and I didn't realize how if someone never had kids, not that they were a bad person, but they just didn't know how to react to me having kids. And they weren't necessarily, they thought they would be able to handle that role, but they weren't really able to handle it. And it was really important for me to find someone who would get along with my kids. And uh, so I think em emotionally, that's why I like marriage is this idea that, I don't know, that you can see into the future a little more easily. Like, and, and, and by the way, it's a huge waste of time going on dates. And then, you know what the worst thing is? Is like, I remember one time, this is like 2007. I went out on a date or 2008. I went out on a date and I don't know what I was thinking. I should have said coffee. And I like went all the way out to Coney Island, which is like an hour and a half away. And I meet this person and within 12 seconds, I realized, oh, this is the worst. She like barely spoke English and I wasn't attracted to her. And we go to dinner and I, I'm stuck in Coney Island and we go to dinner and it's like a two hour dinner. And then it's another hour and a half trip home. Like what a waste of time. And if you're doing that, you know, even one out of 10 dates, that's uh, you're wasting like 40 hours of time, not to mention all the other hours of the dates that yeah. you're wasting time. So I don't know, for me, I didn't, I wanted to stop wasting time too. Although again, I thought I wasn't going to go on when I met you, I didn't think, and maybe this was a good thing. I did not think I was going to go on any dates for a year. I was so sick of being in relationships, yeah. but like we told in the other stories, like, Oh, uh, I halfway through our dinner, I realized, Oh, she's, if I do have a checklist, she's helping me figure out what I want on my checklist. And then I'm really realizing, well, if she meets all these things on the checklist and I'm attracted to her, boom, I should go for it, which I did. I never not go for it. When you look like me, you kind of have to be very, uh, you have to be fearless about going for it because that's my, that's my advantage over other people who look like me is they're all, they nerdy people get shy about going for the, going for the, the, you know what they want and i'm not shy about it i'm appropriate right i wasn't well, inappropriate yes, um but i'm not shy uh in those situations like why do you think and then there's the legal question but like why do you think it's good to uh a good I, thing I to get married it's the same thing I, I feel i i love you know being with somebody i i wanted to find that person that uh could be my partner in life you know that we could do things a best friend you know a uh, uh are we best friends? Father, uh, for my kids. Huh? Are we best friends? We are. There you have it. And uh, oh, you, you, the father 
I remember when we were had decided to get married, but before we got married, I remember one time you even called me. We weren't yet always spending. We were pretty much spending every night, but you there was one night I don't know, and uh, uh, you called me and like, oh, this would be so good for the kids. And you're right. Like now, um, both our kids, yeah. you know, we have five kids between us, so both have the benefit of being able to talk yes. to the other. And you know, with your kids, you know, you lost your husband, they lost their father. It's probably been not that I'm replacing their father, but it's probably been good that they're able to uh, talk to someone with as many TikTok followers as I have. I'm probably a good influence on them since all the other, since 20,000 other kids on TikTok think I'm a good influence. Why not your your three kids? So, um, but no, I I think it's, I, I don't know. I think everyone has their own opinion and you know, whatever works best for them. But luckily, we felt the same way, and so that's yeah. We never us, so there's I don't, no wrong or right. It's just whatever works best. I don't think I had any hesitation at all. And there's yeah. and I know on this IG live, one of the people who was at our wedding, which was just a in in downtown in City Hall, where all the yeah. where all the protesters gathered yesterday. <laughs> uh, uh, Lisa's on the IG live. Yeah. She was there, but um, and then the other the other thing is the legal question. Why legally do you think it's important? Well, <clears throat> the way the system is set up here is that, you know, for insurance purposes, for, um, I don't know, it, it just seems to be easier when you have uh, a marriage license. How come we've been married for a year and a half now and I don't have insurance? That seems to go against your argument. Uh-huh. Well, it's because the insurance that I have with the kids is from my late husband through the oil company. So they, I already asked if that, you know, they could put you on to the account. They said no, just because that's like a, a benefit for, you know. Uh, I did get my very first American Express card ever because I'm just hanging off your account or whatever. <laughs> I never had it in my entire life. I've never had a credit, credit card. Uh, well, it's not an American Express card. I don't count as a debit a credit card. It's not a debit card or a credit card. It's like a charge card because you have to pay that month, mm-hmm. right? You don't. There's well, no they, credit. They, they still la- allow you to pay it if you want, but we always pay it off because it's, you know, yeah. I don't want to pay the interest. But, but I've, I've never in my entire life had a credit, a credit card. It is a revolving credit card. Well, which there you go. So, so this, this is my yes. first credit card yeah. uh, <laughs> in my life. And, and I've always had a problem renting apartments uh, because I had no credit card history. Yeah. Like I've never had a credit card in, in my life. And I've had, to, I've had to meet at least three condo boards because they were so confused when they looked at my credit history <laughs> and I would go to them and I would say, why is it so unusual to be an American who's never been in debt? I mean, I've had housing debt and I've had tax debt, but I've never had just normal debt and like credit card debt or medical debt. And I, I had student loan debt, but I paid that off very quickly. Yeah. Uh, not very quickly, but quick enough. Right. And, uh, but they would just be dumbfounded. Like, how, I don't understand. Like, how could you have no credit history? And uh, I just, yeah, I was, I was, they thought I was like, yeah, I was like a terrorist. That's not, that's very un-American not to have debt. Uh, I'm sorry. I just never really, I would have gotten in debt. Actually. I just, I'm bad with paperwork. So I never filled out the paperwork. They're always like, here, we'll help you fill it out. But I don't like to waste time, like filling out the paperwork. So, um, I think legally also, I don't know. There's something, 
I don't know. Maybe we grew up in a culture where legally and emotional marriage were yeah. tied together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the reality is it's harder to split up with somebody when you're legally married as opposed mm -hmm. to common law married or just like living together. It's just a super big commitment. I mean, more so than just, okay, we're just going to be together. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're living, if, if you're living with somebody, you could say, look, you have to move out now. <laughs> I don't want to be together. You can't do that if you're married. Uh, you know, it, it, so it's, it gives you a little bit more, if there's problems, you, I, I guess there's a little bit more impetus to work through them. Right. I think kids does, uh, kids makes a relationship like that and legally, legally being married makes yeah. it, and living together. So all these things like kids living together, being legally married, right. but legally married is the clincher because then you need to hire a lawyer, which is a drag. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's, there's a, there's some element of that there. I wanted to be legally Me married, Me too. even though I know conceptually, it doesn't make any sense at all mm -hmm. to wish for government. It probably would be better for you not to be legally married to me. Just because I sometimes, not right now, but I sometimes, you know, I'm late on my taxes or I'm just so bad with paperwork that that is in some way or shape going to negatively affect you. I can guarantee it. Well, I'll so, positive, positively affect you because I don't like being late on those. So see, I make sure that we're not late. I don't know. I don't know if, if your dreams are going to come true there. <laughs> uh, Jay has sent the IG live link. Uh, I am going to answer some questions. So yes, yesterday I talked a lot about the lockdown and now the protests. And Jay, by the way, since yesterday's uh, show was all about the riots, we should probably put that podcast up as soon as possible, like today or something, just telling Jay here. But uh, here's the, a question also about this. How are we going to come out of all this, the lockdown and now the, and now the protests? That's a great question because even though we've gotten, you know, right in the beginning of these IG lives, I described, I'll tell you where I was right and where I was wrong. I was right when it came to when the virus would peak. I said April 15th. I was right when I said when the virus would probably be over. I said around June 1st. And now we see in New York State, which is the state that was hit the worst in the United States, uh, there was zero new deaths yesterday, which means that if there was zero new deaths yesterday, that means there were probably zero new cases um, or zero new infections 15 days ago, because it takes 15 days to go from infected to death. And it takes two weeks to go to symptoms and severe symptoms slash hospitalization, and then another five days to go to death. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So, uh, so where are we going to go from here? I kind of think, especially since we have all these protests yeah. and we were, by the way, there yesterday. Yes. Yeah, so we went, we went to the protest and yesterday we, and not everyone had masks. Oh, by the way. And everyone's hugging each other. Yeah. So, and, and these, these, this is the 11th like kids, day. I, I lo we love meeting these kids. Oh yeah. Saying. We talked to many yeah. people, young and old, yep. white, black, male, female. We Very talked to people. Positive. If you go to the protests, some guidelines, and this is what I said yesterday, A, during the day, the protests are peaceful uh, and it's a great time to listen. Whether you agree, there's, whether there's some aspects, nobody agrees on everything and nobody understands all the issues. There are many complicated issues. 
I think nobody disagrees that there's some there's a, a lot of systemic racism in the U.S. and around the world, and nobody disagrees that what happened to George Floyd is horrible. I think some tactics people agree on, disagree on, but it's very important if you go to these protests, A, be safe, go in the afternoon, B, listen. Nobody knows everything. Listen to what everybody's saying. Listen to what these yeah. people, and it's usually younger people than us, listen to what they're passionate about. Listen to what is, is bothering them as society moves forward. Let's view this as society 2.0. Like we're coming out of this shutdown, the first shutdown in the history of the human species, and it's an opportunity to grow. And why do I say there's systemic racism? Well, uh, it's just like saying in in you know in different countries at different times, there different groups of society were treated worse. Like it was just it was just 55 years ago that uh, blacks and whites drank out of separate water fountains. And so why was that even, so you asked, that's clearly racist, but then there was a law passed that, that, that ended that. So what makes it systemic? Systemic means it's so much in the system, we can't even recognize it. Well, in, in I believe it was the 13th Amendment, the amendment that freed the slaves, there was some language that could be interpreted as saying, sorry, it might've been the 14th Amendment, where you, you, know, you had to treat um, African-Americans and whites and every race uh, equal. But the Supreme Court interpreted that and a lot of states interpret that to be separate but equal. So you could still have people go to separate schools, separate water fountains, separate buses, whatever, as long as it was equal conditions. Now, the problem was that it wasn't equal conditions and it's even if it were, it's still a racist policy. Yeah. And the problem is, is it's systemic because this was baked into the Constitution, into the amendments in the Constitution and the Supreme Court until until Brown versus the Board of Education and, and other laws and the Civil Rights Acts in the 60s. The, the Supreme Court even interpreted uh, these amendments in the Constitution as being allowed to have keep people separate but equal, which was unfair. If there was no government and if there was no Constitution, I'll take an extreme view, there would not have been segregation nor there would there have been a need for integration there would have been no there would have been no police to enforce hey you have to drink out of this water fountain versus that water fountain there would have been and i think that's yeah, if what, there was no slavery there wouldn't be yeah well if there was issues to begin with if there was no federal government enforcer, enforcing slavery laws a, an escaped slave would have been escaped they wouldn't have been you wouldn't have escaped south carolina and then been caught in pennsylvania and sent back down to South Carolina where you would have been brutally punished. So a lot, the reason it's systemic is because a lot of this was baked into the laws. Here's an example. And I, I probably have talked about this, but the Electoral College was only created to, everybody was fine with a popular, or people could have been fine with a, a direct democracy, which means the President of the United States is elected by a direct vote of the population. And whoever gets the most votes wins the presidency. Well, the United States didn't do that. The United States did what's called an electoral college where every state you vote for your electors and then the electors vote for president. Now, the reason they did that is because the North was more populated than the South. So the Southern <coughs> slave owners were afraid that the North would just keep electing officials that would overrule the South. So the electoral college was created to give the South more power and to keep the balance of power to, to hold on to slavery. 
So even the Electoral College is part of systemic racism. Does that mean we get rid of the Electoral College? No, it doesn't, but it means it's something to be looked at, and it means some of these common practices that we depend on and live with might be called into question as we reform. Are, do, do all drugs need to put people in jail? Do, um, uh, why do you need to, uh, why does every state have different requirements to vote? Uh, why do different states have different requirements to do different jobs, like, like licenses, which I talked about yesterday? Yeah. So uh, you have to ask these questions in order to have reform. And I think what, these pro what the peaceful protesters want is they just want to be heard. They don't know all the answers from what I can tell. Her, and they want to be, they want change. They want change, but they don't know what change they want. Everybody kind of. Well, they're getting lists are out now. Their lists are coming yeah. out that they want. Well, they definitely want police reform and they want yeah. less funding for police, particularly if, if the role of police is to, they feel is to hurt them. And they want um, better vetting of uh, police officers before they're hired, which would have solved this last situation. They want better. Uh, they want more, defunding too of the uh, force. defunding of the police force. They want more strict uh, punishments for people who do these crimes. But there's more than just police reform. There's there's actually just mm -hmm. just criminal justice reform. There's education reform. There's economic reform. Right. The border they reform. Move, they want to move the money around instead of putting all this money into the police force. You know, put it into uh, the communities that that need it. You know, into the schools, into the health. You know, of the of the people. Yeah. So, so, so to, to Yaronsi's question, uh, where do things go from here? Well, the lockdowns are, are finished. Not every store is open yet, but everyone realizes all the stores need to open, businesses need to go back. Part of the reason for the simmering anger underneath that we've seen in a lot of these protests, I mean, there's an enormous amount of anger. And part of that is because people simply couldn't feed their families. They couldn't they couldn't, they didn't have money. Every, the average right. American at the beginning of this pandemic right. had only $400 in savings. What do you think they have now? They're in trouble. 40 million people filed for unemployment. And now, yes, today shows, the, today's economic data shows things are going to get better very quickly. But that doesn't undo the fact that 40 million people had to go through such suffering. Yes. And so what's going to happen is you're going to see a quick return of a, millions of people employed. You're going to see stores and restaurants all over the country open, but when the dust settles, you're not gonna see everything reopen. Your favorite cafe, your favorite corner mom and pop Italian restaurant, those might be closed forever now. I, my guess is 30, 40, 50% of small businesses might be just uh, done. Um, we'll get to the bullshit headline of the day. Do not worry, my friend. Uh, that's, uh, I can't read the name. I, I, I wanna just say something too. Maybe what people can do in the community is help, um, you know, because of these riots and all the destruction of the buildings, maybe in their neighborhood to help whatever they know, you know, to do. Like they can help with, if they're a carpenter, they can help with that. If they have a glass company, they can maybe help put the glass back up, you know, I mean, knows? Or like help the community, just like all of us together, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, play a part and, and, and build back everything. Look, I forgot who was it who said, but in in the Chinese word for crisis, there's two characters. What do you call each character? Like a kanji character, or is that Japanese? 
No, yeah, that's no, just a character. So, so there's two characters in the word for crisis in China, and one character stands for disaster, and the other character stands for opportunity. So, a crisis, there's just like this pandemic now is an opportunity for people to figure out what they want to do with their lives. Even these protests, which were so horrible, and there was so much suffering all over the country uh, uh, and so much pain, kind of unleashed. There's going to be an opportunity. Weiji. Weiji. Is that the word for a crisis, Kamalia? Weiji. Chaos leads to order, someone says. Uh, yeah, Weiji. I don't excellent. know what the, uh, what, what does what the tone mean? What the tone is. Well, Wei could mean many things, but it depends on the seven tones. Uh. Wei, 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 Wei. <laughs> Jay saying yes. Yes. <laughs> Good, Jay. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. A lot of stores and businesses are not going to be open. A lot of people will not get back to employed so quickly, but unemployment is continuing for the next seven or eight weeks. The, the government benefits, there's going to be more stimulus. This stimulus is going to hit the economy in waves. So just really briefly, I'll make some quick predictions. One is the economy and the stock market are going to surge for the next 12 to 18 months and maybe even longer. And, uh, uh, there will be reforms fr that branch out of these protests. I also think there, if there's going to be a second wave, which I hope there isn't, but you never know, that was Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci the other day was probably feeling ignored because everyone was focusing now on the protests and the rioting and the looting. And so Dr. Fauci said, but wait, don't forget about me. There might be a second wave. Watch out for the second wave. But I think we can clearly say everybody who predicted outbreaks in Georgia, which was the first state to open, Texas, which was the second state to open, Florida, uh, parts of the Southwest like Arizona. There, those, those states have fewer cases than ever. New York State, which hasn't reopened, but everybody, I could tell you, everybody's outside. And by the way, no one's social distancing at these protests. There were 50,000 people at the protests the other day, and it's been 11 days of protests, and we can see that there's no new hospitalizations so the protests themselves, everyone was saying, oh, there's definitely going to be coronavirus among the protesters. Well, so far, it's, a, it's maybe a tiny bit too early to see, but it does not seem like coronavirus has hit any of the protesters, which means coronavirus itself, the virus itself, might have mutated to the point where it's just not alive anymore in a big way. But, but I mean, like, it's like 80 percent uh, is asymptomatic, and most of those kids out there are the asymptomatic. That's so true. We didn't see elderly out yeah, there. We so, were the oldest people there. I know. We're going to get it no. in 10 days. No. So they were probably spreading it amongst themselves. It's not going to, you know, hurt them. And, and here's the thing too. The stock market has already largely bounced back, but what's bounced back, it's, it had, it's bounced back in unusual ways. So like nobody would have guessed that zoom, uh, video yeah. communications would, would have, have so much in revenues and profits. So that bounced back. Amazon, like tech bounced back because we're using all this bandwidth. Facebook bounced back because we're using Facebook right now. Uh, Google, everybody's using, looking at content and YouTube all day long. Netflix, up huge. So all of the tech companies did well. All the cruise companies and hotels didn't do as well, but they'll probably come back yeah. as well. Like where, here's what we know is that even a month ago, you could start to see people were making airplane reservations and hotel reservations mm -hmm. like 
instead of it being a hundred percent drop, it was a fifty percent drop a month ago from from where it was in January. So now it's even higher than that. It's something like a, only a twenty percent drop in activity. And right now, also we can see in Wuhan where they track a lot of data, we can see people are moving around now almost as much as they were before the pandemic. So we can see that Wuhan, which was the first area afflicted, supposedly, we don't know for sure, but was the first area afflicted, that's bounced back almost completely. We're gonna have a similar bounce back, but it will be a new abnormal. Not everything you know will come back. And- There'll be new things coming back. Your jobs won't necessarily come back, but it will be an opportunity for you and for me, for everybody, take a look at their lives and say, is this how I want to spend the rest of my life? Like this lockdown was serious. I was with lockdown with my loved ones for 12 weeks. I was locked down with my interests for 12 weeks. I was locked down with my skill set for these 12 weeks. Which of these can I improve? Can I improve who I'm around? Can I improve my skills? Can I improve my interests and, and my abilities in those interests? Can I monetize those interests? So I'm very interested in that being able to monetize whatever your interests are, as opposed to just simply no. going back to work. What, one interesting thing too that happened with uh, one of our daughters, Lily, is like she's graduating high school this year, but she really didn't know what she wanted to do. I mean, she's going to apply to college next year, so she was gonna take a gap year and travel, but that's kind of not gonna happen. But during all of this, you know, uh, the, the protests and all of these things, we really figured out something she has about her passion and her, you know, uh, passion for human rights. So now she's wanting maybe to go to law school. I mean, this is yeah. something that she, now she knows she's reciting all the laws. She, you know, like, should see when she's arguing with us, she practically already is a lawyer. Yeah, and she's, she's citing all these laws, you know, for that the police should be doing. And, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And she's in tears when she's doing it. So she's very passionate. And I think it's a great thing. I mean, that's the kind, that's what you need, that sort of passion to push you forward into something. Yeah. And, and so again, you can ask yourself, what, well, what, maybe you can say to yourself, well, I don't really know what I'm passionate about. Well, try a couple of ideas. One is over these past 12 weeks, what have you loaded, what photos have you loaded onto Instagram? If, you know, that might suggest what you're interested in. If every photo you lo loaded was of, uh, I don't know, of lions in nature, maybe you want to quit your corporate job in New York City and move to uh, a place, what do you call it, where lions are in, in Africa or whatever. Yeah. What are I, those called? Uh, like, I don't know, like a, a wellness, like a rehab or something for these Yeah, animals. I don't know. Yeah, and then, uh, or, or let's say, uh, uh, you know, I'm let's say safari, but you know, also look at what, look at your Google search history. What, what did you spend your most time searching on? Like with Lily, our daughter, she spent a lot of time searching on all of the issues that mm -hmm. occurring during, during the, not only the lockdown, but during, I think she got a whole education on economics, law and everything yes. during these protests. It's so, great. And, and understanding how to do a, a peaceful protest and thinking about that. And it's hours of talking with her. It's exhausting at times too, but it's it was really healthy, you know? The, the, the other thing you can do is, and again, is look at what you were interested in when you were 12 years old. How has that aged? So Matthew Berry recently was on my podcast and he's from, uh, he's the anchor at ESPN for fantasy sports. And he was interested in sports when he was 12. So 
when he was sick of writing screenplays in Hollywood, which I would consider the dream job, but he did not. He was disgusted with it. He hated his life. He was miserable every day. He couldn't figure out why he was so sad all the time. Finally, he quit that, which was an enormous amount of money for him to, to give up. And he started writing for $100 a blog post, blog posts about fantasy sports, which that's how sports aged for him. He couldn't be an athlete, but he became a fantasy sports lead or whatever. And he started using his writing skills combined with his sports interest to write about fantasy sports, combined with his analytical ability. He's a very good um, analytical guy, so that helps with fantasy sports. But he was able to add humor and storytelling to blog posts about fantasy sports. He told me at the time, all the writing about fantasy sports was very dry and statistics oriented. And he, he built a huge fan base because he had, was a comedy writer in Hollywood. He brought, he borrowed, I call that borrowing skills. He borrowed skills from his old career, moved it into his passion, and, his, and then he became the only person in the world who was like a good fantasy sports writer. And that catapulted his career to the point where now he's like this, you know, he's making a huge amount of money. He's an anchor at ESPN. He's got started, he sold his fantasy sports company to ESPN. So, so ask, well, start listing. What were the 10 things I was interested in when I was 12? And how do they age now? Like, let's say you loved music uh, when you were 12, and now you only listen on your commute. Well, maybe you could start a blog, you know, analyzing the music industry, or maybe you could start a blog uh, about, um, you know, songwriting, or maybe you could even write songs, or maybe you can, there's a fantasy music league you could create. I don't know. There used to be the Hollywood Stock Exchange. I don't know if it still exists. I don't think it does. And that was kind of a prediction market of which movies would do well. Maybe there should be a, oh, you know what there is? If you Google uh, the royalty exchange, you can actually buy parts of the royalties of all your favorite musicians. Like, I can go to the royalty exchange right now, and the, there's a the soundtrack for one of the seasons of the TV show Friends. I can buy one of the royalty streams for that. And you can actually buy the real life royalties. That's, that's, you get, instead of getting a 3% dividend when you buy like a stock, you can get 20% a year on some of these you know, music streaming royalties. So I know a guy, I don't know if you know, um, God, what's his name? Uh, Junior something. But he was a big, famous uh, Hispanic DJ in New York City 20 years ago. And he was an expert, because he was a DJ, he was an expert in all forms of music, all songs. But he was getting, he felt like he was getting a little too old to be a DJ. So here's what he did. This is this DJ who would just perform at these raves and stuff. He's a famous guy. But one time I was at this dinner and I was sitting next to him and I was just drilling him on what he did. So here's what he did. He was a DJ uh, and he approached KKR, which is Henry Kravis's private equity fund. It's a hundred billion dollar private equity fund. And he said, give me $20 million and I will, I will buy songs. I will buy the royalty streams and the publishing rights for, instead of buying stocks, instead of having a portfolio of stocks, I'll give you a portfolio of songs. And he did it and he makes like 20% a year independent of the economy. It might be Junior Vasquez, I'm not sure. Um, Junior Vasquez sounds familiar, but I don't know if it's this guy. I'm actually Facebook friends with his wife, but not him, so I forget his name. But um, uh, he, he 
he, he KKR gave him money, and then now I think now he's they've given him up to two hundred million dollars to buy the rights to songs for him. Another friend of mine, Matt Smith, uh, he might even be on this IG live. I don't know if you are Matt, say say hi. But Matt Smith um, started the royalty exchange, where now everybody I don't you don't need money from KKR. You could just go in and start buying pieces of the royalty streams of really famous, well-known songs, whether they're you know rap songs that you liked in the '90s or movie themes or songs that are coming out now i i think there were two drake songs i could have bought part of the royalty stream for so again list so there's these three techniques one is list all the things you were interested in when you were 12 and brainstorm on how they can age to where you are now uh, uh and use your idea pad start writing out 10 ideas a day down and you'll get good at at figuring out your passion in this technique the other thing is review what you, what you would, what you took photos of and put on Instagram or review your search history. So like with our daughter, Lily, she, if you look at her Google search history, it's probably all about the different laws involving racism and the police and law enforcement and protests and what's legal and what's not legal. And so that suggests that perhaps a passion could be legal in the law or, or some form of activism or whatever. A third way um, is a third technique you can use, and this is one that Tim Ferriss told me, is that imagine money was not a concern. If money was not your concern at all, and I'll throw something else in there. Imagine if relevance wasn't your concern. So money, Twitter followers, relevance, downloads, sale, none of that mattered. What, how would you spend your day, like tomorrow? Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so someone puts it, so it's royaltyexchange.com. Uh, thanks for, for putting that, Mike. Um, so. If you, if money and relevance were not issues for you, like let's say you didn't have to care about how to monetize something or how to sell something, what would you do today? So I think for me, I would do podcasts and these IG lives, and particularly since Robin, since you've started doing this with me, I've been having so much more fun to have you with me doing during this. But also, I think, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I kind of want to write. A science fiction novel at some point. I started brainstorming what would I do if I had to do something else. I wanted to write a science fiction novel. I wanted to, speaking of songs, I wanted to learn how to write a song. I was starting thinking of all sorts of ideas about what I would do. You know, another thing is, even though I've been an entrepreneur and I've started uh, uh, many businesses, I, I very rarely have owned a real bricks and mortar business. Now, I own a comedy club. I don't consider that as being an entrepreneur. That's like it's sort of that's like a bad investment. I would not recommend owning a bar, restaurant, or comedy club, particularly in New York City. But um, I was talking to someone yesterday about, hey, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe right now, when everybody's sort of coming back to work, a lot of this is an important. This is the ten million dollar business idea of the week, even though it's the final three minutes of talking to you. Final five minutes. A lot of people are probably looking to shut down their businesses. They're, afraid, they're maybe they're sixty years old, and this lockdown showed them. You know what? We don't we don't want to run this business anymore. We're tired. We're, we're going to retire. We're going to get the RV. I know a lot of people who bought RVs. By the way, Camping World, the stock for Camping World, which is Marcus Lalonis's company, that stock has shot up because everybody just jumped on their RV and took off. But um, a lot of businesses will be shutting down. Do you know that 90% of businesses 
they don't sell when they're done. They just shut down. Most people think, oh, I'm going to build a business and sell it. That's only kind of like in the tech world. Most businesses like a restaurants or a laundromats or car dealerships, they just simply shut down when the owners are tired. So you can, you can go and find businesses and you can go to your accountant, you can go to your lawyer, you can go to even a business broker, but I think an accountant or a lawyer are better. You can say, hey, do you know anybody who's got a small business, maybe a laundromat that's in a good location, that's had steady profits, uh, maybe they want to sell. I'll bet you right now, more than ever, you'll get a good price. Well, what if the company was making $100,000 a profit a year? I'll give you just some quick a checklist of items. Don't If a, if a, if a laundromat was making 100000 in profit a year, don't pay more than $200,000 for it, number one. B, you might say $200,000. I don't have $200,000 to just hand over to some laundromat. Fine. Here's what you do. Give them $10,000 and say over the next four years, the next five years, the next three years, I'll pay you out the $220,000. So now you'll pay them just out of the profits of what you're doing. So if you're making 100,000 in profit and you're gonna pay them $200,000 over four years, now 50,000 of your 100,000 in profit will go to pay them, but you really have to pay them almost zero to buy the whole business. Once you have one laundromat, buy a second laundromat, buy a third laundromat, always buying these laundromats out of the cash flow of the business. So you put, it sounds kind of slimy, like, oh, buy this with no money down. But you really, these, these businesses would have shut down anyway. So the owner is more than, the owner will look at you and say, wait, you're going to give me 10,000 and then I have to do nothing. And you're going to give me 50,000 a year doing, and I have to do zero. And you say, yep, that's exactly it. Done. They'll take that deal every single day. And again, it's a nego- the, the it's a negotiation. So the price is a negotiation. The amount that you put down, try to put down zero, that's a negotiation. The amount of years it takes to pay them off, that's a negotiation. And uh, if you can't, if the business goes out of business and you can't pay them off, well, the business went bankrupt. They can't go after you personally. So they still got more money than they would have gotten anyway if they were going to shut down. And once you start buying two laundromats, three laundromats, four laundromats, you'll get bulk pricing on detergent or if you're buying new uh, washing machines and you'll instead of when you sell the combined business instead of selling it for two times earnings like in, you'll sell it for 10 times earnings so now if it makes two million in profits your, your chain of 20 laundromats around the country if it's making if each one was making a hundred thousand a year now because you're getting bulk pricing now you're able to move them to hundred twenty thousand a year in profit now you combine them all and now you're making um, 20 of them, you're making 2.4 million in profit. And now you, you, you spent, you, and now you sell it for five times earnings, you're gonna make almost $6 million. And what did you spend? Well, A, you spent nothing because you, you bought these laundromats all out of cash flow. But let's say you flat, flat out spent it. You only, I know I'm getting all numbers, but basically you spent four, uh, $4 million and, uh, oh, sorry. You spent four million to buy twenty laundromats, making a hundred thousand each, and you're going to up the income of each one. Overall, they're going to make two, twenty. Will make two point four million in profits a year, the way I just described it. If you sell for six times earnings, what's that? That's fourteen point four million. So you spent four million, and you sell the whole business for fourteen point four. Meanwhile, you didn't actually spend the four million because 
you, you, you financed it out of the profits of the business, so you spent almost nothing, and you sell the whole business for $14.4 million. That is the $10 million business of the week, and that's a tried and true business plan. So many people do businesses uh, uh, like that, and this is the best time. Because of this lockdown, so many people are going to transition out of their business. Call your accountant today and, and ask him, hey, do you know anybody who's got a business for sale? Anyway, have a good weekend. We're actually flying in a plane uh, on tomorrow or the next day, I forget. Uh, and we'll see you on Monday.